Chapter Ten of The Innocents: A Story for Lovers by Sinclair Lewis. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. With twenty-seven dollars as capital, and a bundle of garments of rather uncertain style as baggage, and the pawn-ticket for a rather good suitcase as insurance, Mr. and Mrs. Seth Appleby established themselves in a furnished housekeeping room on Avenue B, and prepared to reconquer New York. It was youth's hopeful sally. They had everything to gain, yet they were irretrievably past sixty you may for many years have been a new yorker yet not know avenue b where jewish apartment houses and bakeries are sullenly held back by the gas-house district and three-story houses of muddy halls and furtive people who have lost ambition the genus furnished housekeeping room is a filthy box with a stove a table a bed a few seats many cockroaches and from one to twenty people all thrown in and shaken up like a grab-bag here in this world of tired and beaten slinkers the innocents with their fresh faces and kindly eyes excitedly made themselves another home with carbolic acid and soap mother cleaned away much of the smell of former inhabitants while father propped up the rusty stove with a couple of bricks and covered the drably patternless wallpaper with pictures cut from old magazines, which he bought at two for five cents on Fourteenth Street. One of them was a chromo of a child playing with kittens, which reminded him of the picture they had had in more prosperous days. Mother furiously polished the battered knives and forks, and arranged the chipped china on shelves covered with fresh pink scalloped paper. When she was away, father secretly pursued the vulgar but socially conscious sport of killing cockroaches with a slipper. As the Applebys passed along the hopeless streets, past shops lighted with single gas-jets, or through halls where suspicious women in frowsy wrappers peered at them, they were silent. But in their one room they were hopeful again, and they celebrated its redecoration with music energetically performed by father on the mouth-organ also they ventured to go out to dinner in a real restaurant of the great city their city on fourteenth street was a noble inn where the menu was printed in english and hungarian where for thirty-five cents each they had soup and goulash and coffee and pudding in three colors chloroformed beets and vast pale uneasy-looking pickles electric lights in red globes and a tinseled ceiling hung with artificial flowers the music of a violin and the sight of eager city faces i'm as excited as a boy with his first pair of red top boots declared father pretty fine to see people again eh and pretty soon we'll be dining at the waldorf astoria eh how you do run on said mother mechanically placid dreaminess in her face as she listened to the violin that like a river bore the flotsam of hungarian and jewish voices alone jobless yet they were so recklessly happy that they went to a ten-cent movie and watched the extreme heroism of a young district attorney with the motionless eager credulity of the simple-hearted as soon as they had installed themselves father edged shyly into his old haunt 
the shoe store of pilkings and son he found son brusquely directing the cleaning out of an old stock of hunting boots which pilkings perry had always believed would sell pilkings phil's was bald and narrow between the eyes he looked at father and nodded as though it hurt him i is your father around mr edward father inquired i didn't hear from you again been waiting thought maybe i'd get a letter i hope he has recovered i know how bad the grip while he was talking he realized that edward pilkings was in mourning young pilkings looked shallowly grieved and muttered the old gentleman passed beyond a week ago thursday oh mr edward i can't tell you it's a blow to me a very great blow i was with your father for so many many years yes uh yes is there i wonder if i couldn't send a letter or some flowers or something to your mother why yes i guess there's nothing to prevent boy you be careful of those boxes what the deuce do you think you're trying to do there that's a little better try to show some sense about your work even if you haven't got any edward pilkinson's voice crackled like wood in a fireplace desperately father tried again fact is mr edward i've given up my tea-room on cape cod didn't go so very well i guess my forty like the fellow says is sticking to selling shoes mrs appleby and i have just got back to town and got settled down and fact is i'd be glad to go back to work his hesitant manner invited refusal it was evident that mr edward pilkings was not interested shyly father added you know your father promised to keep a place open for me well now i'll tell you appleby it ain't that you aren't a good salesman but just now i'm well kind of reorganizing the business i sort of feel the establishment ought to have a little more pep in it and so you see but you leave your address and as soon as anything turns up i'll be mighty glad to let you know for years father had pityingly heard applicants for jobs disposed of with the request to leave their addresses no he said no maybe i'll come in and see you again some day good day good luck to you mr edward he greeted his old acquaintances among the clerks they were cordial but they kept an eye on mr edward pilkings he shivered as he walked out it was warm and busy in the shoe store but outside it was rather chilly for a man with no overcoat or job it seemed incredible that he should have found his one place of refuge closed to him he walked from shoe store to shoe store hopelessly old-fashioned place the shoe man said when he mentioned his experience with pilkings and sons be glad to do what we can for you mr appleby but just now he had reached the department store section already the holiday rush had begun holly was in the windows salvation army solicitors tinkled irritating bells on every corner department stores had always rather bewildered this man of small business but he inquired for the help employment bureau in the largest of them and his shyness disappeared as he found a long line of applicants filling out blanks here he did not have to plead with some one man for the chance to work he was handled quickly and efficiently on a blank he gave his age his experience how much he expected and a brisk impersonal clerk told him to return next day on that next day the world became wonderful for father wonderful and young again for some one did actually want him he had a temporary holiday help job in the leather goods department at eight dollars a week father's first day of work in the leather goods department was the most difficult he had ever known his knowledge of shoes and leather had become purely mechanical a few glances at new stock and at trade journals had kept him aware of changing styles 
now he had suddenly to become omniscient in regard to handbags portfolios writing cases music rolls learn leathers which he had never handled cobra seal walrus ecrasi monkey skin he had to appear placidly official almost pontifical when vague ladies appeared poked clippings from holiday magazines at him and demanded i want something like that that usually depicted articles of whose use he had the most indefinite notions other ladies ponderous ladies who wanted vast quantities of free advice before purchasing christmas presents desired encyclopedic information about sewing cases picnic sets traveling pillowcases telephone pads guest books and a cover for my social register and i want you to be sure it's the very latest thing he was defenceless he could not dodge them anybody could come up and ask him anything and did and while he could learn something about the new leathers still it was difficult for him to remember the long island railroad timetable well enough to reply instantly when an irate shopper snapped at him do you know what's the next train for hampstead the most difficile woman in a shoe store has at least a definite tangible foot to fit but the holiday crowd were buying presents for persons of whom father knew nothing though the shoppers expected him to know everything from the sizes of their wrists to their tastes in billfolds they haggled and pushed and crowded they wanted it to be less expensive as well as more blessed to give than to receive he spent twenty minutes in showing the entire line of diaries to one woman she apparently desired to make sure that they were all of them moral or something of the sort at the end of the time she sighed oh dear it isn't time for the matinee even yet shopping is so hard and oozed away into the crowd father had started his first day with a superior manner of knowing all about leather and the ways of cranky customers he ended it with a depressed feeling that he knew nothing about anything that he couldn't keep up with the holiday pace of the younger clerks and that the assistant buyer of the department had been watching him he walked home with strained weary shoulders but as he turned into the gloomy hallway leading to their room he artificially brightened his expression that he might bring joy home to mother who would have been lonely and anxious and waiting all day he pictured her as sitting there hunched up depressed he would bounce in with news of a good day he tried the door carefully mother stood in the middle of the door in a dream in the dimness of the room the coal fire shone through the front draught of the stove and threw a faint rose on her crossed hands taller she seemed and more commanding her head was back her eyes sparkling she was clean-cut and strong against the unkempt walls why mother you look so happy what is it i'm going to help i'm not going to be a lazybones i've got a job too in the toy department at regalberg's and they're going to pay me nine dollars a week how's that for your stupid old woman why why you don't need i-i don't know as i like began the conventional old father to whom mother's place was in the home whether or not there was a home in which to have a place then the new father the adventurer declared i think it's mighty fine mother mighty fine if it won't be too hard on you i'm going to take you to dinner to-night instead of you taking me that is if you'll lend me a dollar laughing till they nearly cried with father shamelessly squeezing her arm on public thoroughfares they again plunged into the roman pleasures of the little tinsel restaurant 
and like two lovers like the telephone girl in your office and the clerk next door they made an engagement to meet at noon next day in a restaurant halfway between regalberg's and father's store when she came breathlessly into that beef stew and paper napkin restaurant at noon mother already had something of the busy unself-conscious look of the woman who can compete with men her cheeks were flushed with walking her eyes were young she glanced about the room found father smiled quickly and proceeded to order her own lunch in a business-like way they told me to be back in half an hour she said but i don't mind a bit it's been nice all morning this is the first time in my life i ever did have all the children to talk to that i wanted and the sweet toys think of me gadding around like this and enjoying it i swear to goodness i don't know myself and what do you think i'm going to do if either of us gets a raise i'm going to buy an overcoat father felt that he didn't know her either she did most of the talking at lunch and hurried cheerfully back to her job while father plodded wearily away speculating as to whether he could keep bustling on tired stinging feet till six like the younger holiday help with whom he was in competition he couldn't seem to please the assistant buyer of the department at all that afternoon though in his eager way he tried to be the perfect salesman on saturday morning there was a little note for him in which the superintendent was obsequiously father's servant and humbly informed father that his services wouldn't be needed after that day would he if it was quite convenient call for his pay the following tuesday and not fail to return his locker key before leaving the establishment the assistant buyer came around and unhappily told father that they were letting him go because the department was overstocked with younger liver men i'm mighty sorry and wish you good luck he said with flash of the real man under the smooth steely exterior father scarcely heard him though he smiled faintly he read the note many times as he stumbled home but he couldn't get himself to show it to mother till sunday afternoon so proud was she of helping him and proving herself a business woman succeeding in a nine-dollar job while father who had once been worth twenty-two good dollars a week hadn't been able to keep an eight-dollar job being quite human father felt a scornful envy of her for a minute when she repeated all the pleasant things that had been said to her but she was so frank so touchingly happy that he could not long harden his heart when he told her of his ill fortune she put her hand to her breast and looked desperately afraid it was only with a dry gasp that she could say never mind seth you'll find something else i'm glad you don't have to handle all those silly card cases and all and so so oh i do hope you find something you won't think i'm entirely a failure i won't have you use that word don't i know haven't i seen you for years why well, I, I depend on you like it sounds like a honeymoon but you're just about my religion seth but she went to bed very early to be absolutely certain of being on time at regalberg's monday morning so began for seth appleby the haunted days when drifting through the gray and ghostly city of winter he scarcely knew whether he was a real man or a ghost down prison corridors that the city calls streets among jewish and italian firms of which he had never heard he wandered aimlessly asking with more and more diffidence for work any kind of work his shoes were ground down at the heel now and cracked open on one side in such footgear he dared not enter a shoe store his own realm to ask for work that he really could do as his december drifted toward christmas like a rudderless steamer in a fog the cold permitted him to seek for work only an hour or two a day for he had no overcoat and his coat was very thin seth appleby didn't think of himself as one of the rank paupers but rather as a man who didn't have an overcoat 
He had the grip, and for a week he never left the house. While mother proudly carried on the money earning, he tried to do the housework. With unskilled hands he swept, leaving snags of dirt in the corners. He washed, breaking a dish now and then. He even got down on protesting sore knees and sloshed around in an attempt at scrubbing the knotty, splintery floor. He tried to cook dinner and breakfast, but his repertoire consisted of frying. Fried eggs, fried bacon, fried bread, fried pork chops, which mother pretended to like, though they gave her spasms of indigestion. In the richest city in the world he haggled with abusive pushcard peddlers over five cents worth of cabbage. He was patient, but wrinkled with hopelessness. With two warm days in succession and the grip gone, father found work as a noontime waiter in a piggery on Third Avenue, where contractors' workmen devoured stew and sour coffee, and the waiters rushed gaspingly about in filthy white aprons. After the lunch hour he washed dishes in soapy water that quickly changed from white to grease-filmed black. For this he received fifty cents a day and his lunch. He hid the depressing fact of such employment from mother, but religiously saved the daily fifty cents to give her at Christmas. He even walked for an hour after each lunch to get the smell of grease out of his clothes, lest she suspect. A patient, quiet, anxious, courteous, little aging man, in a lunchroom that was noisy as a subway, nasty as a sewer excavation. Without admitting it to himself, he had practically given up the search for work. After Christmas, something would happen. He didn't know what. Anyway, they wouldn't go back to their daughter's prison place unless mother became ill. He discovered the life of idle men in New York. Not the club men, but those others. Shabby, shuffling, his coat collar turned up and secured with a safety pin, he poked through Tompkins Square on sunny days, or talked for hours to hoboes who scorned him as a man without experience of brake beam and rods, of hoboes' hangouts and the municipal lodging-house. When it was too cold to sit in the park, he tried to make himself respectable of aspect by turning down his coat-collar and straightening his streaky tie before he stalked into the Tompkins Square branch of the public library, where for hours he turned over the pages of magazines on whose text he could concentrate less each day that he was an outcast accepting his fate. When he came out, the cold took him like the pain of neuralgia, and through streets that were a smear of snow and dust and blackened remains of small boys' bonfires he shuffled off with timorous rapidity, eyeing shop-windows full of cheap bread, cheap cakes, cheap overcoats, cheap novels on the joy of being poor, all too expensive for him. Clean and upright, and longing to be merry in a door world, he sank down among the spotted, the shiftless, the worthless. But perhaps when he struck bottom. He was not quite beaten. He never varied the wistful welcome he gave to mother when she dragged herself home from work. But with an increasing humbleness he accepted her as the master of the house, and she unconsciously took the role. She petted him and comforted him and worked for him. She announced with the gaiety that one uses with a dependent small boy that they would have a wonderful party on Christmas Eve, and with the animation of a dependent child he begged her to tell him about it. End of chapter 10 Read by Don W. Jenkins Rancho San Diego, California Shaggybark.blogspot.com